Welcome to iPod, a new podcast series from Ophthalmology Times. Twice each month, we engage with key opinion leaders in interviews about the latest innovations in the areas of surgery, clinical diagnosis, drug therapy, research, technology, or practice management. I'm Julianne Mobilian, Associate Editor with Ophthalmology Times and your host for today's podcast. Dr. Wood, welcome. You've recently written a blog for Ophthalmology Times about advances in floater treatments. Could you elaborate more on your research? Certainly. Um, I started with floater laser in 2006. Uh, I was very curious about treating floaters. Uh, as I, I started my practice back in 1998, back in Arlington Heights, Illinois. I'm still at the same practice. And uh, I was just curious about treating voice rings because they seem to be very disturbing to certain patients. Um, I met with Jack Karakoff at an academy meeting around 2005, 2006. He had a poster presentation. And uh, I was curious, so I, I talked to him, and he had been a pioneer in floater laser, along with there's a couple other doctors. There was one in Florida, one in California, but Dr. Karakoff's in, in Alexandria, Virginia. And he had started with floater laser uh, a while before and had written a book, um, which is the only book about floater laser that's been published to date. Um, and it was, and he just told me to read his book and get some it is Karakoff lenses. There's an on and off axis lens um, that's produced by Ocular Instruments. So I went ahead and got his lenses and read the book, and I started performing the procedure with my uh, Luminous, is my old Duet laser. This is not the current one, but the old model, uh, which was not designed for floater laser. Um, I was fairly successful. I would say about a 50% success rate initially with that older laser. Uh, but it did not have on-axis illumination uh, or coaxial illumination. So I had to treat off-axis about 15 degrees, and I had to use my Heaney or helium neon beams to illuminate uh, the floater. I could sort of briefly see it go on-axis and come off and treat off-axis with the Heaney beams for illumination, and it did sort of work. But again, it was not ideal illumination, and uh, there was a higher complication rate with that laser because that uh, profile of that burst was uh, was uh, was a little more dangerous for the retina or the lens if you got too close because it's a very broad and deep uh, burst pattern. Uh, the the, uh, the newer laser I got was the LX. I got that in about 2015. Uh, I, and at that time, Luminous did not have um, floater laser capability. So I, I purchased uh, the LX uh, reflex, uh, ultra Q reflex um, YAG laser, and that's been incredible in terms of ability to treat floaters. My success rate is like 80 or 90 percent with appropriately chosen floaters, um, and they have to be kind of mid vitreous, uh, relatively mobile white springs. They tend to do the best. The larger ones and the ropier ones are harder to treat. May take two or three sessions. Usually, I can do okay. it in one session now. Sorry, I just I'm, I'm just giving you the whole history of where I, yeah, where no, I definitely. came up to, and uh, it, it's uh, and and lately I've done some work. You talk about research. I did do a safety study for Luminous on their Smart V technology. They now have a laser that is exactly the same in profile to the uh, to the LX laser. Uh, but they use a slightly different illumination. They'd use a split, a beam splitter, um, which splits the light into two, two, uh, light sources that converge on the floater and then diverge when you get to the retina. Uh, okay. and, and so, and the LX has a, has a, uh, 
has a drop-down mirror. It's like an SLR camera, but the mirror drops out of the way and allows for you to uh, to to see adequately, and then the laser fires when the mirror drops down, and then the mirror comes back. Um, so it's a little bit different in, in how it works. But what I found in my safety and efficacy study for Luminous back in 2017 was that uh, it was identical in treatment uh, parameters uh, to the LX. The Luminous and LX were very similar. So that that was okay. a great uh, study to determine uh, efficacy and safety. So was it based off the book um, that your colleague gave you, or um, so what made you interested in treating them with the laser treatment? Well, I knew that it seemed possible to be doing floater laser. I mean, it uh, it was it was something that patients would often complain about, and okay. uh, I was just interested and curious on my own about this. And when I saw the poster presentation and I heard about it, I said. You know, I should be looking into this. I also had a patient who'd been down to Florida and had it done down there. Uh, he was told by the practitioner at the time that his pupil didn't dilate enough and that it was a difficult laser procedure to do in that case. Um, and I knew it was somewhat successful but had potential to be more successful, and I had to learn, you know, what to look for in terms of good pupil dilation, mid-vitreous floater, yeah. small enough Mobile floater, you have to make sure what the patient sees is what you're seeing. So there's a lot of subtleties to it that I didn't initially realize. Um, it's not just lasering whatever you see. I mean, you have to try to correlate um, what you're seeing to what the patient is seeing. Um, and interestingly, I just got the Optos California uh, camera a year ago, and I'm now able to see most of the Weiss rings and tell the patient, is this is what you're seeing. And then oh. afterwards, we can take another well, it's not really a photo. It's a laser scan, but it looks like a photo. And I can show them that it's disappeared afterwards, so I can confirm to them that it's gone. So, wow. Um, so it's pretty neat. Now I have the ability to show the patient before and after, um, so it's quite compelling. That is, yeah. And then based off that, who are the ideal candidates for this procedure? So ideal candidates would generally be uh, people who are bothered by their floaters, obviously. I mean, if right. I ask them initially, are you bothered by that? I'll see it back there. And if they say no, I said, well, if it does bother you at some point, we can laser it. We have capacity for that. Um, one thing you do want to make sure initially is that their retina is healthy. So if it's a new posterior vitreous detachment or PVD um, and they have any symptoms of retinal tear or flashes or floaters in the in the periphery, um, I would definitely, you know, do a full uh, dilated exam and make sure that they don't have any peripheral tears. If they have a tear, you can laser the retinal tear first and then come back a month later and then laser the floater. Um, but I always tell the patient if it's a new PVD uh, that they have to wait at least uh, one to two months before they have the floater laser done just in case they develop a retinal tear. Uh, I just want to make sure that retina is healthy before we work on the floater. But if they've had the PVD for a few months and no retinal tear, then I consider it safe to go ahead and laser the floater. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, and so what would the learning curve be? And especially as you have newer ophthalmologists coming into the workforce, um, how do you foresee all of that? All right. Well, it's, it's a little tricky because um, as general ophthalmologists, we don't have much experience working in the vitreous cavity. Uh, it is actually a very forgiving space to work in because it's a it's a wonderful shock absorber. So as long as okay. you're not near the retina, I would stay about three millimeters away from the retina and certainly away from the optic nerve because that has a lot of blood vessels there. So, And obviously, obviously the fovea, you don't want to be near that. If you're at least three millimeters from the retina in general, you're going to be fine. If you get a peripheral retinal hemorrhage from this, it's not 
the end of the world, it'll typically resolve itself within a month or two. Um, and you have to obviously you have to stay away from the, the crystalline lens if they're phakic. Uh, you want to stay at least three millimeters behind that. And you can go off axis with your light to make sure that you're in the right um, location. Um, regarding training for this, it would be nice to get this into residency programs. I've inquired with our local, uh, one of our local programs, and they weren't quite ready for me to teach people yet. Um, they're not, they're not at that point yet. But, um, if you're in, in private practice and you want to add this to your, um, your retinue of procedures, it, uh, it would be helpful to partner with a, a surgeon that has done quite a few of these in your area, if possible, to do like a training program, a mini yeah. residency, just for like a day, and line up a bunch of cases, just so you get a comfort level with how to find the floater, how to isolate it, how to be safe, all these things. Um, there are classes. There's a class at AAO. I know Paul Singh is, is teaching one now. Uh, at least he did last one. And then uh, Carl Stonecipher is doing um, a, a, a live surgery class for LX. Um, so, you know, there's ways to get educated. You just have to be motivated um, to help your patients. Um, and okay. It, and it's uh, it's a wonderful addition to any practice, uh, but it does take some getting used to. And I would say you're going to occasionally have a little, you know, complication. As I said, a retinal hemorrhage can occur, but typically uh, they're self-limited. And uh, worst case scenario of a vitreous hemorrhage, patients have blood thinners or something, and that may take a month or two to clear. But that's very unusual. And if you're very safe with your technique, and again, that comes down to you know, learning more about the procedure, you're you're, you're going to be pretty safe. Um, the, the newer lasers are very forgiving and very tight in their treatment and very accurate. So I don't seem to have any very many problems at all with the new generations of lasers. How do you think that you can make it more accessible to patients? Well, in terms of access, as I said, it would be nice to have more providers doing the procedure. Um, there's two ways you can bill for the procedure. Uh, the traditional model is to have people pay cash, and um, that can dissuade some from having it done. Um, there's this, usually what they do is they charge separately for kind of the consultation and then for the procedure, including two uh, two sessions, and then you pay, have the patient pay separately for every additional session beyond that. Um, and uh, that is not my model. I mean, I prefer to get as many patients treated as possible, um, and I don't and I, I don't want I want want them uh, to be held up by the cost. So, um, so I, I typically bill insurance or Medicare, and uh, you would have to check with your local Medicare and insurance providers. And with the insurance providers, you might want to do a prior authorization before doing this with a patient, um, just to make sure they're likely to pay. But there is a specific code for severing of uh, vitreous uh, uh, strands, and uh, I forget exactly the code, but you can you guys can reference it in the in the post, um, yeah. and and basically with that code, uh, you can get paid for doing the procedure by insurance or Medicare. So I feel that that's a better way to get the technology out there, at least within my practice. Um, I've worked toward getting other doctors to refer patients for these problematic voice rings, and I've had a retina specialist refer and a couple other specialists so far. So I have people who do refer in for this procedure. So it. It is one that once you learn, you, you've got to get pretty experienced to be getting referrals, you know, to make sure that you're comfortable right. um, getting a good result. But once you get to that point, it can be a source of referrals as well, and that expands okay. your range as well. So with 
with all of that, what is the essential take-home message you'd like to share? Well, my take-home message for this procedure for floater laser is that uh, it is definitely doable for any general ophthalmologist to learn how to do this. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, definitely helping to serve your patients. It's it's giving you an additional level of care where you know we basically have had a nihilist approach to floaters, we say, well, get used to it. It's your new friend. You know, we, we've not been able to service these people at all, and it is eminently treatable um, if it's the right size and shape and location. I mean, these white rings can be treated, and some people are very bothered by them. So for quality of life, I think it's important for patients to be at least offered this procedure. Um, and uh, like I said, the training programs, I would hope, would eventually come around to to uh, offering this uh, to their residents and fellows to get to get comfortable with that. Um, I would also say with a premium practice, if you're doing a lot of premium cataract surgery or LASIK, um, it's a great addition because now uh, it's a very visible quality of life issue for patients that's easily treated and is uh, amenable to a cash model if you're in a cash model with your other treatments. Um, but it certainly adds to the range of things you can offer to a patient in a premium practice, and it will definitely improve word-of-mouth referrals if you're able to do this for patients. Yeah, that's really great. Um, was there anything else you'd like to add? I think that's it. I mean, I'm just, uh, I've just become a major proponent of the, of the procedure, and what I've noted is that there's a lot of resistance in our community, and it's it really comes from a lack of awareness and right. um, and a risk aversion, and I understand that. But, you know, we, we have to get more comfortable with with what the procedure actually is as opposed to what we think might happen um, right. when this is done and uh, and make sure that, uh, you know, that, that, our, that we don't speak poorly of it to patients because I think we're getting some providers out there speaking negatively about the procedure, which is not helpful. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I would also say it's, uh, it's it, for the patients that are really suffering, it's it's a wonderful release for them because um, it's something that's bothering their reading and everyday existence if if they're aware of it. And some people just it you know a lot of people can adapt to it, but some can't. And so offering yeah. them this is just an amazing thing if we're able to if we're able to uh, treat that along with their other visual problems. We need to view it as a problem. We need to view it as a problem that can be fixed. That's what it is. Oh, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Really well, appreciate it. Thank you it. for giving me the opportunity to speak about floater laser. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much again. We want to thank Dr. Wood for his time. You can find his blog at ophthalmologytimes.com slash blogs. Thanks for listening to this episode of the iPod from Ophthalmology Times. We hope you subscribe at iTunes and let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about. Stay connected by going to ophthalmologytimes.com, subscribing to our newsletter, and following us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We'll see you next time.